I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up on the latest news. And then we're going to interview and sit down with Executive Director of Faithful America, Nathan Ipsall. And then we've got a big announcement at the end of this first segment that you're going to want to stay tuned. Good Faith Weekly is undergoing some changes, so it's going to be a really good episode, so stay tuned. I think you're going to enjoy it. Autumn, how are things in your world these days? Hot, 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 hot. Oh, oh my gosh, it's so hot. Yeah, it... Uh, what, on Tuesday of this week here in the great state of Oklahoma, I think we reached 110 or 111 or something like that uh, here in Oklahoma City. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. It's it's not good. doesn't matter how dry that heat is. It is like baking outside. It is, it is really bad. And I like the heat, um, but I'm ready for a break. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little reprieve yesterday. I had some cloud cover. I, don't, I think yeah. it may have gotten up yeah, to 100, but some rain on us but like not enough to talk about i think it evaporated before it hit the i think the weatherman locally did a little like temperature thing of how hot the sidewalk is and it was like Mm -hmm. 185 degrees so before the rain even hit the sidewalk it had already evaporated (laughs) wow Uh, well uh it was so hot this week that i got inspired how hot was it (laughs) sorry it sounded like a setup i thought you were gonna like do a thing (laughs) Uh, it was so hot this week uh Uh, that I was inspired to write a column about it uh, on Thursday at goodfaithmedia.org entitled The Heat Is On. I don't know if you remember the old Glenn Fry song from uh, Beverly Hills Cop starring um, Eddie Murphy, but uh, it was nope. uh, the lead song on that. <laughs> I know, I'm an 80s kid. <laughs> uh, but uh, I wrote about kind of what was going on across the globe this week because, mm. you know, we mentioned here in Oklahoma, especially on Tuesday, the temperature here in the Oklahoma City metro area got up to 110. But there was at one point that the entire state of Oklahoma was 103 or above. And that's just silly. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. crazy silly. But as bad as things were here uh, in the Southern Plains, Europe is undergoing the worst heat wave that they have ever encountered. Paris reached 40.5 degrees Celsius. For those of you who never took uh, the metric system in elementary school, that is 104.5 degrees Fahrenheit. The UK hit a record measuring the hottest temperature ever at 40 degrees Celsius or 140 degrees Fahrenheit in uh, in the UK. And those poor Europeans are dying. In fact, they're literally dying because I think this week they've, uh, uh, they've reported over a thousand deaths uh, related directly to the heat. It was so hot that at one airport in London, the tarmac actually began to melt and they had to cease flying out of it uh, for most of the day. Mm-hmm. It's crazy hot. I mean, just it crazy is. Hot. And a lot of those folks don't have air conditioner either. You know, because this isn't normal for them. If only someone had tried to warn us that, like, the climate was doing this thing called changing. Uh, But really, this is the first I've ever heard of this. It's just (laughs) astonishing. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know, we have been talking about climate change for decades now, um, ever since, uh, you know, about a decade ago when countries really started to, to see 
the concern that the environment was causing globally, uh, they began to come together and they came together with the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. Uh, as you know, during the last presidential administration, the United States pulled out of that, uh, which was to the detriment of the world. Uh, we're now back in it, but it's just uh, accelerated. In fact, uh, talking about the UK, meteorologists at the Met, which is uh, their National Weather Service over there, uh, came on before this week and said this, that the temperatures this week were predicted, but they were predicted for 2050. Mm. 28 years early, this is the kind of weather we're getting. Terrifying. It is terrifying. It led uh, climate scientist Bill Hare, who's CEO of Climate Analytics, to say this, and I quoted in my article, it's a grim outlook. There's no getting away from it. I'm afraid. We've mm -hmm. got to do something about climate change. We've got to encourage our lawmakers here in the United States to act on it. The president was in Massachusetts yesterday talking about this being an emergency and using his executive powers to help support uh, current uh, bills that are on the um, that are on the books right now, but he fell short of declaring it an actual climate emergency. I just think we're at that point. We are at a climate emergency. We need to do something. I mean, this is as bad, if not worse, than COVID nineteen, which we also chose to ignore. <laughs> yes, we did. So if our elected leaders are failing us, folks, we've got to step up. So stand up, uh, speak out, and step forward because... Uh, and the, vote accordingly. Yeah. Vote for people who are going to care for our, our world and who have an ecological justice sort of glint in their eye. Maybe listen to what's in between the lines of what leaders are saying locally and on the you know, state and national level. Mm -hmm. uh, pay attention. It's not about party affiliation. It's about our literal world. Yeah, and for those of uh, our listeners who are Christian uh, and who take the Bible seriously, uh, we are mandated to take care of God's creation. Uh, he set us in this world, or she set us in this world, to uh, take care of the creation that the divine breathed into life. And we have an obligation and responsibility. And if we fail that, and if we turn our backs and we ignore this, then we are falling short and we're going to bear the consequences of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's another article that uh, at goodfaithmedia.org this week that I found very interested by one of our colleagues, Tony Cartledge. Uh, it's entitled Boys and Guns. Did you give that a read? I did. What'd yeah, you think? It was really well written. Um, you know, in Tony's usual fashion, he poses things in a way that I have, like, I've thought about the things, but not in quite the order and um, way that he presents them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, you know, he, he starts out talking about little boys and, you know, their fascination with guns and uh, a lot brought on by uh, the media that they consume. Uh, and even back in the day, it was comic books and things like that. They would, uh, you know, use your use your hand as a gun and bang, 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 and and play cops and robbers, or in my case, uh, Indians and cowboys. Uh, I apologize <laughs> on behalf of my ancestors. 
<laughs> Thank you. Uh, on behalf uh, of uh, the the entire indigenous population, I I somewhat accept your apology. <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. It's all right. Uh, but uh, just how toxic max masculinity has uh, infected our culture to the extent that our boys are just inundated with this uh, masculinity and fascination with guns that of course leads to violence. Um, it was just, it was a very interesting take. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I have two girls and I have two boys and uh, we don't do a lot of gender role subscribing in our house. You know, we all sort of do, uh, we pursue our passions, but I definitely, and our kids also don't watch a lot of violence. I mean, as far as I know, they don't watch violence, but there's, you know, there's a laser gun, there's this kind of thing. And I definitely noticed my boys more than my girls pretending something was a gun. And in our house, when someone starts talking about they have a gun, I will always say, is it a Nerf or a water gun? Mm-hmm. Is it Nerf or is it water? Because yeah. any other kind of gun, and like we talk, even when they're in playing, um, and I grew up in a hunting family, I grew up with a lot of respect for the damage and danger surrounding guns. We do not have guns in our house um, other than Nerf, which we have a plenty. Um, <laughs> but talking to kids about the real, like this isn't just something you play. Like this is dangerous. This is, and and living in the South, we also have to have a lot of conversations about um if you go to someone's house, like I always ask the parents, are there guns here? Where are they? And our kids know, like, if you ever see someone with a gun, like you need to walk away, even if you don't think it's loaded. So we talk with a lot of um, reverence, but not in like a worship sort of way about weapons. Um, And I agree with a lot of what Tony said. And I also want to go one step further that access to guns is really a lot of the problem here because the whole world consumes the same movies and comic books that we do. The whole world has the same family situations going on that we do. The difference here is the access. Absolutely. And he does talk, he talks about a very interesting point that leads, uh, and that was a great segue into this point. Because he does talk about this notion, and I'm starting to hear it more and more, that the the U.S. Constitution was somehow divinely inspired. Yeah, that, what's that about? Yeah, and in the in the piece, he says we do not have a God-given right to own guns. Nowhere in the Scriptures says that we have a right to own guns, but in the United States, we do have a constitutional right, but it is not a divinely inspired document. It's an inspired document, but by a group of uh, you know, young to middle-aged men back in the 18th century who, you know, who came up with these concepts built upon the foundation of other philosophies around the world. And so while it is not divinely inspired, it certainly is humanly inspired uh, as a document. And therefore, we have to understand that it is a, it's a flawed document. Therefore, it has to have amendments. Therefore, it has to be interpreted uh, and changed over time. And that's where, you know, I am a, a proponent and advocate for a living constitution. And I think Jefferson and... Uh, Madison, uh, especially, would be very disappointed that we have not made more changes to the Constitution as it was presented 200 years ago. Nobody, they didn't intend for us uh, in 2022 to live exactly like they did back in uh, the, the late 18th century, early 19th century. And so uh, it, it it's just mind-blowing to me. In fact, I heard it during the 
one of the, the testimonies during the January 6th hearings, somebody said directly about the Constitution that they believed it was divinely inspired. And it was just, it was like, wait, let's tap the brakes on that for a second. I, yeah. I think it's a great document and one of the world's great political uh, statements that's ever existed. But to say it's divinely ex- inspired, I think that's taking it a step too far. It is. And if we're not going to like evolve as a country and as a, a, a group of citizens uh, beyond what was happening back when the Constitution was written, like that's a real detriment. I think that that sort of um, speaks to where we are. Um, but if we if we have decided that we're going to pause and hold there, then let's also pause and hold there on the weapon technology. And like everyone can just have their musket and they can like <laughs> stuff it down with a gunpowder. And like sometimes it'll misfire. Like let's keep if we're if we're going to get stuck in the past, let's like completely stick. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And okay, you know, with these literalists, um, you know, th- for some reason they they don't actually read the Second Amendment. Uh, because it does talk about a re- a well-regulated militia, and I and I looked up the word regulation, and that means limits. <laughs> that yeah. means oversight. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Not just Bubba like running <laughs> around with his AR, whatever it is. Right. Like, no. Yeah. No, Bubba. Calm down. Uh, exactly. So so give uh, you know Good Faith Media some uh, love this week, and go to goodfaithmedia.org because there's some really great articles uh, that are published this week. Timely. Uh, the, yeah, the very timely. Thoughtful. Very timely. Yeah. Yep. Well, hey, Autumn. I don't know. Maybe have you checked your phone lately? The Secret Service is missing some text messages. <laughs> I tell you who they need to put on the case is a mama. Because a mama can find whatever <laughs> She will find it out. Has, uh, have they given First Lady Biden a crack at it? Uh, I bet that, she yeah, could find I, it. Dr. Jill, man, I bet she could find it easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, the big news coming out of uh, Washington, D.C. and the January 6th hearings. that uh, uh, This is being recorded on Thursday, by the way. Uh, there's Thursday a hearing, morning. Yeah, Thursday morning. There's a hearing scheduled for this evening. Uh, so I know that you're going to be listening to this uh, either on Friday or over the weekend or early next week. So uh, we, we apologize if we don't talk about any of the bombshells that were revealed tonight. But the big bombshell earlier in the week was that the Secret Service had erased uh, text messages from January 6th. So Why what do you, you need to erase a text message? That sounds a little sketchy to me. <laughs> I know. It sounds really sketchy. And, I mean, this is the Secret Service. They're saying that uh, it happened when they did a phone switch out, uh, which I understand that's probably uh, standard operating procedure for them because, I mean, they are secret about everything. <laughs> and uh, Nothing's ever really re- erased. Right. Really, exactly. No. So you want to know what my theory on this is? I would love to hear your theory. I think that they probably there are probably texts out there that talk very uh, discouraging, uh, very discouraging text or very uh, critical text of the president of the United States. And as were you looking at my phone when you said that? (laughs) Because yeah, you're probably but like why erase that? Like what's he going to do to you? Because you do not want future presidents to think that they're not they're not a hundred percent in. I guess so. That could be dangerous. Yeah. So uh, that's just my theory. There's no proof of that whatsoever, but it's just like that you, makes sense. You, know, you scratch your head why why they would do such a thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and we do know uh, from testimony that's been uh, corroborated that uh, 
that the president tried to take over the uh, the presidential limousine, the Beast, uh, on January sixth, and uh, force it to go to the uh, the Capitol that day. But uh, this has been. I, I mean, have, I would have sent a nasty text message if that happened to me. <laughs> yeah, if the president Ooh, of the United this States, guy? OMG, yeah, the president tries to choke me out in the, on the car, I may have a word or two to say about that in a text message. <laughs> Sure. I may have a couple of emojis that I could uh, tag yeah. onto that. <laughs> yeah, if you want your secret service to be loyal to you, like be someone worthy of being loyal to. I'm right. just saying. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, this has certainly been the blockbuster uh, television, must-see television of the summer. It's been really Oh, for incredible. sure. Yeah. And I think that uh, we're going to see more fireworks tonight. So uh, I'm not really looking forward to watching it, but... Uh, like uh, we we all need to be educated and aware of what's going on. Yeah, so. informed citizens, as especially as we start heading into midterms. Well, speaking of being aware and bombshells, we've got a big announcement to make here at Good Faith Weekly. And so, yeah, at this time, before we uh, turn it over to our interviewer, and uh, Autumn and I sat down uh, earlier this week with Reverend Nathan Ipsall. Uh, who's the executive director of Faithful America. We talk about the January 6th hearings and uh, Christian nationalism and the dangers of Christian nationalism. It's a really great interview. But before we go to the interview, I'm going to turn it over to Autumn because she's got a big announcement to make. I'm not pregnant. <laughs> well, <laughs> like as a, you know, as now that I think about it, that's about 50-50 chance. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, sometimes more than that. Yeah, no, I'm not pregnant. I... I'm actually going to be stepping away from Good Faith Media vocationally. Like, okay. I will still be here in spirit. I will sometimes write for you all. I might even be able to be talked on to popping back on here uh, to talk with you all. But, um, yes, I am going to be uh, taking a new position. Well, we are tremendously sad and angry and bitter about your decision. <laughs> I, I have felt all of those things. Yes, I have felt all of those feelings. Uh, before I came to Good Faith Media, I uh, worked my way up over about a decade to being the director of admissions um, at the law school here at OU. And um, my boss, my former boss, is now the president, and a position has come open at OU's medical school and they liked sort of the admissions and recruiting model that I put together at the law school. Um, and they've invited me to come and, and create the same model at the med school. And I've, you know, I have, this is a dream job. This is a dream position working with the best people on the planet, doing the best kind of work on the planet. Um, but I, I, I think it's one of those opportunities. It's just the right choice for me right now. Sure. Well, even though we're bitter about it, we are extremely excited for you. The university uh, and the med school are very fortunate to have you. Uh, We do hope that you continue to pop back on the pod and and share your enthusiasm and excitement (laughs) and righteous anger about the issues that we're talking about uh, here at the pod. So it's hard to believe we've done 125 of these. Um, Oh, my gosh. I know. And next (laughs) week, we're actually going to dedicate the entire show. We're going to talk to Autumn and and look back over those 125 episodes and talk about her work here at Good Faith Media and why, you know, she thinks that uh, – why she – why she supports it, why uh, we need an organization like Good Faith Media in the world. And so uh, it's going to be a good pod next week. And we're going to have a big announcement next week. 
Yes. At the Mitch end isn't the, pregnant either, I am not pregnant either. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the pod, uh, we have selected an interim co-host. And that person will be popping on at the end of next week pod to, to talk about uh, the future of Good Faith Weekly. And uh, I think you'll find it delightful. So, so yes. Autumn, we are going to miss you tremendously. Uh, next week is her last week with us. Uh, but uh, we're going to continue bringing you the news, talking about the news, talking about where faith and culture intersect, and some great guests uh, in the future. So, Autumn, we love you. We're going to miss you, but we wish you the best. Thank you. Stay tuned as Autumn and I sit down with Reverend Nathan Impsall, who is Executive Director of Faithful America. Hi, I'm Tyler Tankersley, Senior Pastor of Ardmore Baptist Church, and we invite you to join us for our newest podcast called Speaking in Parables, where we explore the stories that Jesus told and how to apply them to our lives today. You can find more information at ardmorebaptist.org slash speaking in parables. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us today. Reverend Nathan Ibsol is the Executive Director of Faithful America. He's also an Episcopal priest and experienced organizer who holds both a Master's of Divinity and a Master's of Environmental Management, as well as a BA in Government and Native American Studies. Faithful America was founded in 2004. They are the largest online community of Christians putting faith into action for social justice. Their members, Catholic, Protestant, and more, are sick of sitting by quietly while Jesus' message of good news is hijacked by the religious right to serve a hateful political agenda. Their organization is faithful to challenge Christian nationalism and white supremacy and to renew the church's prophetic role in building a more free and just society. Well, that doesn't sound like easy work at all, but Nathan, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you, Mitch, and thank you, Autumn. I'm not sure if there's anything left to say. What a great introduction. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're glad you're here. Well, Nathan, let's start out with uh, the work at Faithful America. What, you know, there's a lot going on in the world these days. I mean, it seems like the last uh, three years, well, you could even go back to start, you know, a decade ago. A lot going on in the world these days. Uh, things have ramped up, especially in the last uh, several years. Uh, so before we talk about what's going on with the January 6th committee, let's talk about the work of Faithful America. What are you guys doing over there? Sounds like just some incredible uh, philosophies and strategies. We try. Uh, Faithful America was first founded in 2004 by the National Council of Churches to be an online action hub for progressive people of faith, and in particular social justice Christians. And we're still living into that uh, almost 20 years later as a fully independent nonprofit. We've got two big focuses. One is reclaiming our faith from the religious right, from Christian nationalism, really trying to reduce the power of Christian nationalism in both church and society. But it's not enough to be against something. So we also work for moral positions and moral policies in this country. We've got almost 200,000 members, grassroots Christians in every state, every denomination across the country. And it's amazing what happens when we raise our voices together, when two or three are gathered in Jesus's name online. Jesus mm -hmm. is there. Fantastic things happen. 
Well, I was sitting here looking at your website. Uh, that's faithfulamerica.org, and you've got several petitions there that people can sign on after they join. I encourage you to join Faithful America. But I have to say this. One of uh, the petitions uh, caught my eye, and that was stop supporting Tucker Carlson and Fox News. <laughs> I just, I thought, I can, can I sign up fast enough for that? Can we sign up for our parents? Does it work by proxy? I don't know. You know we've got, that, that is such an important one right there. And, and uh, in my case, it's grandparents. But uh, there's an, an even newer petition, as bad as Tucker Carlson is, and as bad as Fox News are at, is at, at pushing the great replacement theory and other forms of racism and political violence, OAN, Newsmax, and a channel you might not have heard of, Real America's Voice, are even worse. Now, we're recording this podcast July 20th. I think you told me it dropped on the 22nd. Mm -hmm. So eight days from now, on July 30th, Verizon's contract with OAN expires. Verizon is the last major channel distribution platform left for OAN. They carry it on Fios TV, the streaming service. And they're negotiating right now whether or not to renew that contract. So the, we have another petition that's really important to sign right now and phone calls to make to Verizon to tell them not to keep doing business with OAN and its Christian nationalism and its right-wing misinformation. This is the urgent week for that because that's coming mm. up July 30th. Yeah, we're familiar with it, especially here in Oklahoma, because uh, at the height of uh, the summer of 2020, the height of the Black Lives Matter marches across the country uh, advocating for racial justice and policing reform. Uh, the football coach at Oklahoma State University, Mike Gundy, uh, was seen wearing an OAN T-shirt. And uh -huh. as you can imagine... That didn't go very well, or didn't go over very well with some of his players. <laughs> so uh, there was it was a big controversy around here. So that's when I was first introduced to OAN and started checking them out. And you're right, filled with misinformation. So yeah, let's get on that and sign that petition. Yeah. We'll have a link to that in our show notes too, so people can sign. Perfect. Thank you. Um, OAN is, is at the heart of so much misinformation, uh, especially the big lie that they're being sued by semantic, uh, a big voting uh, machine company that, that for defamation. Mm. I think misinformation from Christian nationalism and the MAGA movement writ large is perhaps the biggest threat to the country right now. Democracy, climate change, COVID-19, all of this is tied together. This kind of spreading of misinformation is a hallmark tactic of fascist politics. It always has been. I really recommend the book How Fascism Works by Professor Stanley at Yale University. Does a great job exploring fascism through the, through the ages right to today and making sure that your audience doesn't know truth from fiction mm. is key. And it always has been since the 1920s and before. Now, right now, it's really hard to figure out how to break up these misinformation bubbles. Uh, that's the problem. They're bubbles. People watch OAN and Fox all day long, and they hear this misinformation and these lies bathed in religious rhetoric. So they think it's actually a holy, prophetic declaration they're receiving. And the speakers they're listening to, Trump himself certainly, but also pastors like Greg Locke, Franklin Graham, uh, pundits and, and officials like Michael Flynn and Roger Stone, who were involved with January 6th, they say that they're team Jesus. They tell you that Trump is God's chaos candidate. They tell you that you are on God's side, or worse yet, God is on your side. 
And when you hear this religious rhetoric, you get to thinking these people are basically prophets. And they tell you, mm. you can't trust the media network. You can't trust judges. You can't trust progressive Christians. They say, we are the only people you can trust. You can only trust Fox and OAN and the people we bring on. And that destroys trust and credibility in democracy. And it leaves people listening only to the bad actors. The real facts never break in. There was a fantastic study that showed when people were pulled away from Fox News for just 30 days, they started questioning. They started looking to other places for facts. They started not believing the hoaxes and conspiracy theories. Basically, it was like deprogramming cult members. Yeah. They've been and radicalized, it, truly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's, it's radical fundamentalism, and it's happening through cable news as much as it is through certain mega churches. And I think that it's really hard to change so much in our system right now. Gerrymandering, voting rights, the Senate's lopsidedness uh, with overrepresentation for some states, et cetera, et cetera. But one place where we can look to make a difference is the corporations and the companies, because they're in the private sector, that support these channels for profit, not for ideology. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get Fox News to stop being conservative. We're not right. going to get OAN to suddenly become honest. But we can look at DirecTV, Roku, Paramount, Verizon, Comcast, Cox Cable, these companies that carry these channels and say, you are complicit in the stuff you spread. It, it's one thing to share multiple perspectives. By all means, bring on pundits and anchors who want lower tax rates than I might advocate for or who have different solutions to climate change. But you cannot spread lies that get people killed, and you sure can't spread them in Jesus's name. Mm. And so that's why we need to pressure the private sector. That's where the change can come to break up the misinformation bubbles at the source. It's time for us to use capitalism. <laughs> right. <laughs> turn right? The, yeah, yeah. Right? Turn the tables on capitalism. Okay. Yes. So you brought up January 6th. Um, the committee has been holding public hearings. There um, have been has been a lot of evidence presented that the potentially implicates the former president and his advocates in possible federal crimes. What has been your reaction, Nathan, to the hearings and the evidence that you've seen presented? These hearings have been such an important moment in history, laying out the truth. The right wing wants us to think this is a partisan affair, and yet nearly every witness has been a Republican. And a Trump supporter. I mean, not only a Republican, but I mean, close to the president. That's right. His some of his his top aides and and former friends and accomplices. It is it is truly remarkable. Now, talking on a podcast called Good Faith and, and, and talking as people of faith, we haven't heard much about Christian nationalism in these hearings yet, but it's hovering in the background the whole time mm-hmm. because we have heard so much about specific Christian nationalists who planned and executed January 6th for religious reasons. Now, the committee has not talked about those religious reasons. Maybe they will in the future. Maybe they're too scared to be seen as attacking Christianity, even though there are large coalitions of Christians who are against Christian nationalism. So it's really important to call out the Christian nationalism that inspired January 6th. And to that end, the committee hasn't mentioned religion, but they have talked extensively about Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Patrick Byrne, and a number of others, Mike Lindell, all of whom are now together on the Reawaken America tour, Alex Jones as well. And this is a tour that goes mostly to megachurches using religious rhetoric, gives pastors 50% off the price of tickets to come on in and listen to QAnon misinformation and a defense mm-hmm. of January 6th and the big lie and anti-vaccine lies, all in Jesus' name, all by the same people who planned January 6th 
basically everyone in the committee is talking about is now on a mega church tour together. Mm-hmm. The only person who's not on that tour is Donald Trump, but Eric Trump headlines most of the tours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus would be flipping some tables. Yeah. And it, and Christian nationalism has been in the headlines. You wrote an article in Newsweek on January 6th, about January 6th. Uh, certainly check that out. I did a great job talking about Christian nationalism and its implications within the insurrection uh, on that fateful day. I uh, read an article by one of our colleagues uh, that we partner with, the Baptist Joint Committee, uh, Holly Hallman, uh, wrote a great piece in uh, the Washington Post uh, over the weekend uh, talking about how Christian nationalism is is just running rampant today. I've gotten a video recently, and I can't remember the organization. Nathan, you probably probably know about it. About this pledge that uh, a group of pastors led a large contingency of praying of taking the country back for God and what they believed in. And I mean, it was I mean it it was cult like you mentioned cult a while ago, and it just was so cult like so. Let's talk about Christian nationalism. I mean, on that day, while the committee has not talked about it, you see the footage, especially in that first uh, hearing when they they showed exactly what transpired that day. You couldn't help but see Christian symbols and Christian language that was in the crowd, on the signs, and in the interviews that people were talking about as they were heading to the Capitol. How has Christian nationalism gotten to this point? Because there was a time, I mean, I remember growing up, and I remember hearing all this rhetoric in churches uh, in neighborhoods, but it's gotten to a point now where we've, we've figured out they really believe this stuff to the point where now they're acting on it, and that's what we saw the culmination of January 6th. So tell us a little bit about kind of the, the history behind that and what we witnessed firsthand on January 6th when it comes to Christian nationalism. Absolutely. And not just on January 6th, but before it too, in in, in the ways that built up to January 6th, even beyond the crosses and signs. So let's take a step back for a second. Very quickly, what is Christian nationalism? If anyone's listening for just the first or second time, we've heard about the religious right for a long time, and and Christian nationalism is centuries old, certainly decades old, but the phrase is, is starting to dominate headlines in a new way. And the short version is Christian nationalism is the inappropriate merging of American and Christian identity to say you cannot be a good American unless you're a conservative Christian, and you can't be a good Christian unless you're a patriotic right-wing American. And that's, of course, not true. America is a place where all are free to worship or not as they choose, and Christianity is a 2,000-year-old faith that in some ways is even older going back to creation itself. It predates this country, it will outlast this country, and it is global. Jesus and God are in every country in the world. Christians are everywhere. Evangelicals should know this with the emphasis they put on missions. So Christian nationalism is neither Christian nor patriotic. And the hallmark of Christianity, I mean, excuse me, the hallmark of Christian nationalism is the phrase America is a Christian nation. And you see it when people like Mike Flynn get out there and say pastors should preach the Constitution even more than the Bible, that or that the Constitution is a divine document and America is God's new chosen nation. So that that is not actually Christian rhetoric. It's certainly not biblical rhetoric. And that's why Christian nationalism is not a religion. It is a toxic extremist political ideology that co-ops and hijacks religious language and symbols. 
And the most visible hijacking of those symbols was on January 6th and in the days prior to January 6th. Christian nationalism, you can find it in the 1800s with Manifest Destiny. It really starts ramping up in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s with business interests funding pastors who will talk about capitalism and decry communism in God's name. It was meant to, to be a way of fighting the red menace and the red scare, but really it was a way to lower tax rates and use religion to prop up the Chamber of Commerce. But that started mixing God into the political rhetoric more and more. In the 1950s, you get the National Prayer Breakfast, you get In God We Trust on Our Money, added to the Pledge of Allegiance, things like that. Flash forward to today, we feel like, oh, that's been there since 1776, when really it's only since the early and mid 20th century. But it feels like America and God are clearly intertwined, so you cannot question that. They've made their lies into a myth of history. Mm. And that culminates in January 6th. These folks really believe that America is God's chosen nation rather than one of 200 chosen nations for all God's children. Right. And they also really believe that Donald Trump is, quote, God's chaos candidate. The idea that televangelist Lance Wallnau put out there, that God will use anyone like King Cyrus in the Bible to break things for good. And, and you can find weird people like this Persian king or this New York billionaire real estate. I'm about to start swearing in, in the way. <laughs> you wouldn't be the first person to swear about him on our podcast. I just edited out. <laughs> or we just put the beeps over. But uh, yeah, sexual harasser. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, once you start believing these things so closely, so fiercely, to hear anyone question them, you feel like you yourself are being questioned. Yes. Or your entire faith is being questioned. And it becomes a holy doctrine too. And so you have to fight for Donald Trump no matter what. It's a holy mission. And anything is okay, even to the point of violence. And that's mm -hmm. what January 6th. So in the days leading up to January 6th, there were a number of rallies under the banner of Stop the Steal, some of them called the Jericho March. The Jericho March, I believe, was on January 5th. It was certainly early January of 2021. It was basically a dry run for January 6th. Mike Flynn spoke. The MC at the event was... Eric Metaxas, the, the evangelical Christian author, radio host, who used to have credibility because he wrote this this book about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, but even that people. book, I mean, he calls himself a historian. He is not a historian. No. He makes Bonhoeffer sound like he was an evangelical Christian, and he Bonhoeffer was not. <laughs> so, no. Sorry, it just anytime Metaxas comes up, it's just... <laughs> So, go ahead. Well, America has, has, has worked against Metaxas in the past. And, you know, that's a really good point. The way Metaxas claims to be a historian when he's not, that's one of the ways Christian nationalism tries to establish itself and gain credibility. So does it's David Barton. Barton. That's uh, where I was going with it. Absolutely. I was about to say, you, you talked about a, a pseudo-historian. I was about to mention David Barton. So that's what they do. They, they set themselves up as claiming to know our history and, and know world and Christian history when really they're spending lies, get people to believe oh, we've got our historians, we've got the facts on our side. Um, so anyway, Metaxas uh, hosts this rally on January 5th or early January, prior to January 6th in Washington, D.C. And joining him on stage or by video link in some cases are Catholic Archbishop Pagano and Bishop Strickland. Pastor Greg Locke from Tennessee is there, the guy who calls prisoners witches, says Biden is possessed by demons, burns books, and kicks you out of church if you wear masks. He's now on the Reawaken America tour with Mike Flynn. Flynn was there that day. Alex Jones was there that day. And they were all talking about God and linking God to Donald Trump, 
even the name, and they were blowing their shofars. Even that name, Jericho March, is an allusion to the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament and the city of Jericho, which is where the genocide of the books of Judges and, uh, and, and Joshua begins. They're, they are using a nonviolent march around a city to violently tear down walls and then kill everyone inside the city. That is the illusion that Michael Flynn and company were telegraphing just before January 6th, and it almost came to be in the failed coup on January 6th, set up with that religious rhetoric. We also can look at the Proud Boys and mm -hmm. the other militias and groups that, that actually did the planning and provided the bulk of the inside the Capitol manpower on January 6th. These groups aren't officially religious entities, but where are they doing their fundraising? A website called Give, Send, Go, which used to be for vacation Bible school and uh, church needs and mission trips. They call themselves the number one Christian, number one website in Christian crowdfunding. And now it's almost entirely right-wing militias and political violence and misinformation and mm -hmm. lies, documentaries to try and spread the big lie, legal funds for the Proud Boys. That's where the Proud Boys went. Even before January 6th, early January, they were starting to use Give, Send, Go. Other militias around the country were using it to travel either to D.C., for the uh, insurrection or to other rallies in state capitals around the country. So we're even seeing Christian nationalist resources in the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the violent groups that propped up January 6th. And in the months and years since, like I say, all the people who planned and executed January 6th using religion, they're now touring megachurches where they're bringing with them people who invaded the Capitol, portraying them as political prisoners and martyrs. They're bringing the family of the woman who was shot in the House chamber by police to turn her into a martyr, basically defending everything that happened on January 6th, which sent, further sends the signal to people in their audience that political violence is okay. They certainly never say violence is okay. They give themselves plausible. They don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This way, you go away thinking violence is okay, ready to commit political violence, but they've given themselves that CYA, that plausible deniability, and say, I know, I didn't endorse it, I didn't say it. Mm -hmm. But when you use this holy language, when you defend January 6th, when you raise the stakes so high to apocalyptic proportions and stolen elections, even without evidence, when you tell people, like Clay Clark says, you're on Team Jesus against Team Satan, and then you defend Second Amendment rights and weapons and guns, bringing that into the conversation, people will connect the dots. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm just depressed, uh, Nathan. <laughs> so, I feel like you've sort of already done this, but can you stress to our audience the dangers of Christian nationalism? And it's you've already talked some about the possible implications on the country and the church. Um, and then... Also, we were going to see if you could talk any about some of the latest SCOTUS decisions, because all of this seems so intertwined. It is. You know, since you talk about it being intertwined, prior to his fantastic work on the national stage of the Poor People's Campaign, Reverend William Barber was known for the Moral Mondays movement in North Carolina. And that was incredibly effective. And what was so wonderful about the Moral Mondays movement, which Barber did not start or found, but, but certainly led, in, in, over the years was the way it brought so many very different coalitions together from across the state, different groups working on different issues because they realized, hey, we may have different goals, but we have common opponents. It's the same people fighting us on the fronts. We have to link together. All of our issues are intertwined, like you said, Autumn. And I think that what, what I haven't mentioned yet usually would be one of the first things I say about Christian nationalism. And what's so important to understand is it is all about power. Mm -hmm. 
one of my favorite books is by the investigative journalist, Catherine Stewart. I was emailing a little with her this morning. The book is called The Power Words. And, and that's what it's about. That They don't worship God anymore. They worship power, or at least they're worshiping God at the altar of power, not at the altar of communion or the altar of Jesus Christ. They are abusing the name of Jesus Christ to consolidate power for themselves and for those like them, for mm-hmm. conservative, straight Christians, usually but not necessarily white, usually evangelical, but on a good day, they'll let in the, the conservative Catholics too. But you've mm-hmm. got to be just like them, and they want to seize power and hold power for themselves and their allies at any cost, no matter how much they damage the church, no matter how they have to hurt, who they hurt. Mm-hmm. That is a hallmark of fascist politics, if not fascist governance, certainly fascist politics, seizing power for the in-group. Now, I don't mind mixing faith and politics. You can't mix church and state. They're institutions. Faith is about values. Politics is how we live together. Our values should inform how we live together. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we live together. You cannot love someone if you're ignoring the things that hurt them, including political forces and things of that nature. But when you use faith in a political context, it has to be to expand power for everyone, to bring power and equal rights to all God's children, whether or not they know they're God's children, to every single American, every single citizen of the world. We're all loved. We're all created in God's image. We all have basic human dignity from birth, from before birth. And yet Christian nationalists, not just in this country, but in Russia and beyond, are all about seizing power only for themselves and limiting power for others. It's this fear that if you gain power, I lose power. They see it as Mm -hmm. some gain. And that's the danger. If you're not one of them, they're coming for you. Mm -hmm. And they're coming for equal rights, possibly even interracial marriage, if you follow the logic. Right? So that's the, the biggest danger is to the power of people who aren't like them and to equal rights in this country. Mm-hmm. And if there's any doubt about that, you mentioned the Supreme Court. So after the Supreme Court decision in Bremerton v. Kennedy, there is, which was the uh, school prayer decision about a high school football coach, regardless of what you think of that decision, and I have opinions, <laughs> there is a group called Freedom First Legal Foundation or something like that. It's it's a it's a law firm. It's a legal foundation, and its board of directors is some real heavy hitters from the Trump administration, including Stephen Miller and Mark Meadows, the names you've heard of. Former White House chief of staff, Trump's closest aide and immigration whisperer, Miller, and everyone else on the board of this group. You don't know their names, but they're former U.S. attorneys, acting attorney general, former deputy attorney general. The reason I bring them up is this: after the court ruled in. Uh, Kennedy and Bremerton, this group put out a statement from Mark Meadows, Stephen Miller, the big Trump people, that said the Establishment Clause should not exist in state. They said that the federal government shouldn't establish religion, but the separation of church and state is a myth. The 50 states should be free to have state religions. And Miller and Meadows and these leaders of the Republican Party, which is now intertwined with uh, right-wing Christian nationalism, they said, we hope that the Supreme Court will take additional steps towards disincorporating disincorporating the Establishment Clause at the state level. They really want to say that evangelical Christianity, or at least conservative Christianity, which they just call Christianity, right? They ignore mm-hmm. the two billion people with very diverse views. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Their brand of Christianity 
to become the law in as many states as possible. And that's why you see all these Supreme Court decisions linking together, building towards theocracy and Christo-fascism and dominionism. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, and we, you know this, uh, and a lot of our listeners know this, and that's why I contend the whole argument of states' rights throughout our Republican, our Republic's history has been more about couching Christian nationalism and applying you know, oppressive uh, policies based out of that mindset on people in those states. I mean, it's what it's always been about. I mean, when it was about, I mean, you can say it was about states' rights, but it was about slavery. You can say it's about states' rights, but it's about imposing Christian nationalism on citizens today. Uh, and what they forget well, about is they the forget. Yeah, sorry, that goes back to what we were saying about David Burton and Eric Metaxas, right? Yeah. The vice president of the Confederacy gave a major speech laying out slavery as the justification for the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. That's the basic historical fact, but they distort history, typical fascist politics, is to create a past that never existed, a mythical past, mm-hmm. so that you can tell the people of your in-group, you used to have power, you used to have a good in this mythical past, and those people over there took it away from you, you have to oppose them now, in Jesus's name, and states' rights is a perfect example of that, and of course, they only, the, the real question is, what is the right you're fighting for for the state to have? Mm-hmm. Because as soon as it isn't slavery, as soon as it isn't taking away rights from LGBTQ people or from women or from Muslims or Jews and non-Christians, it's not a right they want the state to have. Right. California takes action for the climate or on automobiles. They don't think California should have that right. And the Trump administration sues to stop California. Mm-hmm. And, well, and we, we saw this in the, la- the, the, the latest decisions coming out of Supreme Court. In one case, they tell New York, oh, you don't have the right to limit uh, gun purchases in your state. But then they say, well, you know, states have the right to regulate uh, reproductive health and ban abortion. So it's like mm-hmm. when the issue suits them, they tout states' rights, but then when it doesn't, no, no, you don't have the right to do that. The other big one would be sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and and any number of different environmental regulations stopping offshore oil drilling and oil yeah. and gas leases in your state. Basically, the power and the money have to flow towards white-led corporations and conservative Christianity, or mm-hmm. it shouldn't States, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Nathan, I could sit here. I mean, we've been going a long time. I could talk to you about this all day. And once we hit uh, the record button off, we may talk about it all day. Mm-hmm. But our listeners are sitting out there. You know, we've got a very educated uh, listenership. And the audience is sitting there. They know the danger. Many of them know the dangers of uh, Christian nationalism. But everybody's kind of looking at one another. What can we do to combat it? So how do we come together and provide an alternative voice, especially coming out of uh, Christian voices, an alternative voice to this Christian National Day? So give us some hope, Nathan. I'm so excited to give you hope because there's a lot of hope just this week. So I mentioned earlier the Reawaken America Tour. This is Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Eric Trump. And a number of others from January 6th, along with a couple dozen pastors and anti-vaccine conspiracy theorists, going to mega churches. They've been doing this for over a year and a half. They, the biggest headline they got was when the disgraced ex-general Michael Flynn stood in Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, a mega church known for its anti-Semitic pastor, and said America should only have one religion. 
it got a lot of attention for the quote, and I don't think it got enough attention for the location. To say that in a place known for anti-Semitism mm -hmm. is highly disturbing. Enough about the dangers of the tour. I'm really excited because this week, a couple days ago, the tour's next event venue in Rochester, New York, the concert hall called the Main Street Armory, canceled and pulled out of Good. The, the venue, the, the, this, and this happened because of pressure from local faith leaders, local organizers, and activists. And I've been in touch with a number of these faith leaders for a couple of weeks. Faithful America had been planning to go to Rochester. We've been opposing the Reawaken America tour at every stop. We sent a mobile billboard to drive around the churches and concert venues where that host the thing, exposing Flynn and Eric Trump as false prophets who hijack uh, our faith to attack the democracy. We train local clergy to speak out. We didn't have to do that in Rochester. Mm -hmm. There was this fantastic community already organized, already talking to one another, talking to the event venue, talking to the press, talking to their neighbors. They got mm -hmm. organized and they showed the event venue, the armory, we don't want this in our town and there's a cost to doing business Christo fascism. Scott yeah. Donaldson, the armory listened mm -hmm. and that I hope other uh, venues and businesses around the country will take note. When That's you great. do business with Christian nationalism, you will lose business. Yeah. One thing yeah. for them to hide in their own mega churches, but they can't intersect with the rest of society without paying a cost. So take heart from the Rochester faith leaders. And it was an interfaith group. There were a, a number of Christian pastors, there were rabbis, uh, all sorts of great, even, even a couple of city council member types. They banded together, they spoke out, and made a difference. Now, Reawaken America's next stop is in my home county, Idaho. I moved there from Texas when I was 13, just as we were, just as the, the town was defeating the Aryan nations in 1999, 2000. It breaks my heart to see white supremacy coming back mm. to this really special place in the fight for civil rights and equal rights. Mm. And I'm sure that local clergy and Christians are going to speak out against Christian nationalism in Idaho and Spokane, Washington, and then in Pennsylvania. And if we keep speaking out, we can keep making a difference just like they did in Rochester. The other way I would encourage people to speak out is what we were talking about right at the start of the show. Point, you know, find the corporate and secular and mainstream places that are platforming Christian nationalism for non-ideological reasons, maybe money or their own, but not because they actually believe in Jesus. That they may believe in Jesus, but I mean that's not why they're taking part in this work. And I'm talking about places like Verizon, iHeartRadio, carrying the misinformation shows from the Salem Media Group on the radio, things like that. Go to those places and put pressure on them to stop being complicit in the anti-democracy attacks and unholy lies and violence from Christian nationalism. If we use our voices to reduce the volume of the misinformation, the facts start to come out, the actual Bible starts to come out, Jesus' mm -hmm. love signs through a bit more, there's more space for grace, there will be hope. We just have to speak out. And if folks are looking for ways to speak out, there are two websites I really recommend. One is, of course, faithfulamerica.org. We are doing four big buckets against Christian nationalism this year. One is everything I've been talking about with the Reawaken America tour, making sure that when it gets covered in the press, reporters know it doesn't speak for the community and it certainly doesn't speak for Christianity, making sure that there are alternative Christian voices countering that tour everywhere it goes. We are also looking at all the media. 
and now all of the, the, the platforms that these cable channels use. So we've been talking about those petitions already on this episode. So go sign those at faithfulamerica.org. And after you sign them, we'll often then give you phone numbers you can call, email addresses you can contact individually, other ways to take action like that. In the coming weeks and months, we will launch a major messaging campaign to lift up voices of faith against Christian nationalism and Christian nationalists during the midterms. So Great. keep an eye out for that. I don't have details yet, but it's coming. Yep. Counter the false prophets. And of course, vote, but don't wait to vote. I mean, yes, vote, vote, vote. That is such an important message. But if it's the only message, we're at a loss. And keep praying and keep heart. You know, we can do these things. Well, that's a great way to to end our conversation, Nathan. But uh, we always on one other other website, sure. Because you already mentioned the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty. Mm -hmm. We work with them too. I'm such a big fan of BJC, and they've launched Christians Against Christian Nationalism dot org. This isn't. This is a C3 friendly, church friendly resource that has so it's not exactly taking on politicians of the reawaken america tour it's looking at the, the the theology below those things the theology that inspired january 6th they've actually put together a great report on christian nationalism in january 6th people should go read that that report but the best so the other thing about christians against christian nationalism they've gathered over twenty thousand signatures from every denomination condemning christian nationalism and they've been endorsed not just by activists but by denominational leaders and major pastors, Bishop Michael Curry, Bishop Elizabeth Eaton, the Reverend John Dorham, Jim Wallace, Sister Simone Campbell, uh, Shane Claiborne, the list goes on. So folks should check that out, and they should check out the resources tab on the webpage if you want something to do in your church, because we need churches and pastors speaking out against Christian nationalism and even finding the ways that we accidentally maybe engage in Christian nationalism. It's good to pray for the country. It's good to ask God to protect us, to bless us, but we don't want to put the flag next to the altar. It's not a Christian altar. We don't want to call America a Christian nation. You know, we got to watch our language. Christians Against Christian Nationalism can help us find the ways we may accidentally be propping up that theology or the ways that we're not propping it up, but we miss it in our own communities. There's some great curriculum, study guides, videos, webinars that you can use in your church get your town and your community engaged. That's christiansagainstchristiannationalism.org. Yeah, and it's a great website. Uh, in fact, uh, BJC Executive Director Amanda Tyler is a friend of the pod. Uh, I am the former board chair of BJC. In fact, I didn't realize uh, you were involved there. That's yeah, fantastic. I emceed uh, their luncheon at the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship uh, just a couple of weeks ago in Dallas, Texas. So a uh, great organization, and thanks for And we actually did the filming uh, of the uh, Christian nationalism video that's out. We we produced that, so that was a great partnership with BJC. So, Well, Nathan, thanks for being with us. But before we let you go, we've got one question that we ask all of our guests, and Autumn has the privilege of asking it. Well, first I have to say, Nathan, you're going to come for the flag on our church stage. Are you also going to come for our pictures of white surfer Jesus? Because <laughs> I don't know how I feel about either one of those things. I know exactly how I feel about those <laughs> Faithful America is calling on Fisher Price to change their little people nativity set. So Brilliant. That it's not a little white blonde Jesus anymore. 
And I had to make of an Easter egg. It's adorable. My toddler loves to play with it. But we've, uh-huh. we've got to have Jesus look like Jesus so that <laughs> everyone knows that he sides with the marginalized and the oppressed. Exactly. That, it's so important. And we have to start young. We have to start those conversations young. You're right. So our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your important work and our amazing conversation today, Nathan, what is your more to tell? Well, I know what it was going to be, and I know what it is now. <laughs> but what it was going to be, but we just talked about this, is that there is hope. Mm-hmm. That You know, Mitch said earlier in this conversation, well, now I'm depressed. But mm-hmm. we have the hope of the resurrection. And before you get to Easter Sunday, you have to go through Good Friday. But Easter Sunday always follows Good Friday, no matter how bleak it gets. And so I was going to talk about some of the some of the signs of hope we've seen and the ways we can raise our voices together two or three gathered in his name but we just had that conversation so keep hope alive and the other thing i'll say then is i'm really proud right now of the episcopal church for some of the climate actions we just passed at our general convention which is our Mm -hmm. big our governing body that meets every three years although it was every four years this time because of covid and when they met in baltimore this month they passed a number of resolutions, including one I wrote, full disclosure, but a number of climate resolutions that acknowledged climate change not as an environmental issue, but as the great issue of our time, a moral issue mm-hmm. that connects every other issue you may care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything pastors have to deal with, health, jobs, poverty, the economy, race, immigration, it all comes together in climate change. The Episcopal Church acknowledged this. The Episcopal Church officially took a stance against and, and directed our policy office to oppose all new fossil fuel infrastructure including things like line three the the keystone xl which is dead but tar sands pipelines like that new coal and oil gas leases uh things of that nature we endorsed the green new deal and this is all because this is god's creation Mm -hmm. and you can't live without creation we're part of creation we're not separate from nature this is how god designed us and so I, I hope, I know other churches are also speaking out. There's the, the Pope has just done such fantastic work, as did both the previous popes on climate change and on, on God's creation and creation care. And a lot of churches are adding solar powers, but more importantly, pushing their lawmakers to do the right thing. I know Joe Manchin is Catholic, and he really needs to listen to Catholic voices on this issue. So there's more to tell, and climate change doesn't get the attention it needs as a threat alongside misinformation. And another threat where Christian nationalists are getting involved and telling you, ignore the environmentalists, don't take action on climate change because that threatens our power. So if you want to save God's creation, if you want to take on Christian nationalism, there's more to tell. Get involved with climate change in your church. Reverend Nathan Imsel is the executive director of Faithful America. You can find out more about Faithful America at faithfulamerica.org. Nathan, thank you so much for being with us this week. Mitch, thank you. Autumn, thank you. Gigamaggies. Uh, Well, on that last note, which we'll edit out. (laughs) (laughs) Like he can do it. We want to thank our listeners for joining us this week. It's been a a great conversation with Nathan. And uh, Autumn and I will be back next week. Until then, keep living good faith.